where he didn't go three innings and the Jays won them both. <laughs> yeah, we, we're not going to lean on that, though, as a, as a winning strategy, I don't think. Like Danny Jansen is just having a stupid start to the season. He's got 13 hits. Seven of them are homers. Yeah, that ratio is probably going to fade a bit. Do you know what's really dumb about this, though? Everything? The whole thing? <laughs> well, the whole thing, sure. And welcome to episode number 237 of Artificial Turf Wars, the very best podcast to listen to when you have a one-run lead. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the effervescent Joshua Housem. How's it going, Josh? Uh, I think it's the third time I've been effervescent. I'm starting to like that one. Ah, it's uh, one of my favorite. Well, I can't call you indomitable. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you have been dominated by some competition at some point. So I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to put false information out there. Also, like the... I missed a podcast recently, so that just wouldn't fit. Yeah, you're you're you were not even here uh, to defend yourself. Um, exactly, I, so I only, couldn't make it through. I was defeated. <laughs> we only made a little bit of fun of you at the time. Uh, we have Blue Jays <laughs> news. Uh, we have uh, a winning streak, a big big winning streak. Feels like two winning streaks. I don't know why. Uh, we have uh, one run games uh, to talk about. Lots of ones that the Blue Jays like to win. We have incredibly good performance from the catchers on the offensive side, which I think is worth a chat. Uh, Hyunjin Ryo is hurt again. Jose Barrios can't quite put it together. Um, which those two things have put a bit of load on the bullpen, which is going fine now. Let's worry about later. Um, of course, we have your questions, and then we're gonna have a do over about fantasy football. And I mean, I picked it, <laughs> and I I didn't think I would ever say those words. We're gonna have a do over about fantasy football, but I think it's legit here, one hundred percent. So before we get to all that nonsense. The Jays are winning lots of games, like every game since we last podcasted, Josh. It's always nice when that happens. Um, so, like, the streak that – that or it wasn't a streak, but prior to this winning streak, they had been on a bit of a losing – you know, like, they have been not playing very well. They had that five-game losing streak, and then since that five-game losing streak, they had lost as many games as they'd won. So – five games under 500 <laughs> since, since from the 7th of May until the 23rd and then seven in a row. And, you know, it's, it's just really nice. Um, and these seven in a row have not all been those, those games that they were winning in April that were, you know, three, two, two, one, two, nothing, four, three, that kind of thing. Um, no, there's some, some, well, I mean, a couple of those games in, uh, in Anaheim, a, they, they swept the Angels in Anaheim. The last time they did that was a three-game series in 2015 was the last time I could find. So that's... That's the only other time it's happened, which is when I was <laughs> talking about this with uh, Minor Leaguer on, on Twitter. That was that was basically when Donaldson overtook Trout in the MVP consciousness. Right. It, per his research, however, this is the first four-game sweep in the Pacific time zone ever for the Blue Jays. They didn't. They've never swept the A's in Oakland. Not over four games. I felt they've done like three they gamers. Had... Okay, that, I, 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 that, that yeah. was his research. He didn't. He didn't confirm it. He said he couldn't find one. But right. 
Yeah, so that in and of itself was wild, but also wild was the fact that there was a lot of lead changes and a lot of run scoring um, in the in the whole series, uh, despite the fact that the Blue Jays did not dominate any single game. <laughs> they managed to come up with four W's. Yeah, and it's just it's just hard to complain. And you're talking about the offense, right? In that series, they scored six runs, four runs, six runs, eleven runs, and you know, like four runs obviously is not perfect, but fine, whatever. It's like, that's still better than they've been doing. And otherwise they were, I mean, six runs or more in the other three games. And that's just sort of what's been happening. Like the, the team is just hitting better. The pitching is not any better. It's maybe even a little bit worse, but you know, in the well, first two I, games in Chicago, they scored six and seven runs. So I think that the the pitching being worse was is actually an evidence pretty strongly in the the Anaheim series to win uh, to sweep a four game series you must have a plus four run differential minimum right mathematically you can't do it any that at that, least yes. four. they had a plus six run differential they <laughs> yeah, literally had last three by one two runs to spare the whole series <laughs> yeah uh, I mean in, the, yeah. in that last game of the series they won eleven to ten which is full of fun comebacks and. You know, and, you know, that the game tying hit for a homer from Bo and it was just and a lot of hits from Guriel and Tapia specifically. So it was nice to see the bottom of the order coming alive, which I mean, Tapia's raised his batting average 30 points in the last week. Yeah, I mean, he I keep hoping Rymel Tapia will will uh, come into his own. Right. He's he's been hitting the ball very hard. Um, and much like Matt Chapman has been been not getting paid for it. That sorry, that play, Matt Chapman getting robbed a couple of times and then hitting a flare into center field to was it Juan Lagares? Yeah, uh, that was one of the most atrocious double misplays I have ever seen in my life. Not only does he miss the ball, then he while he's not managed to stand up, he he gets in Mike Trout's way fielding the ball. Why? Yeah, it was it was not pretty, but it worked out for the Jays. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's just amazing that like what what gets in your head as a as a major league ball player. Like Mike Trout's on his way. It's probably going to be all right if you just let him do his thing. He's fine. He's he's not a defensive liability. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So they took care of business. I mean, they they came back. That that game that was we'll, we'll talk about Brios and or we can talk about it now. Um, you know, like Brios. Stunk it up again. I mean, he was terrible. He two, six runs in two and a third. And, you know, like the Jays, oddly, like, so the Jays were up six to two and then Brios coughed it all up. Well, Barrios and Baraki, the two bad bees, but, uh, and then they were down and, but they just kept fighting and the, and the rest of the bullpen did a decent enough job to limit it to two more. And then they ended up winning the game. So, it was just it was one of those games that's fun to watch. Yeah, and and but I don't know what is wrong with Jose Barrios, right? It's it's like physically, well his his velocity was down in that start, I think. Um, it was. So you sort of start to worry, right? We we noticed this with Ryu who we'll talk about later, but um you know, you, you worry as soon as you see a velocity drop is a guy kind of nursing something to try and to try and keep on pitching and in fact, he's hurt in a more significant way. And, and it's not just a matter of being tired. It's hard to say. So like, if you look at his velocity throughout the season, he's had 
a couple games where he's averaged in the middle 93s up until, you know, so this, so the, from the 11th of May going to the beginning of the season, going backwards, he had, he was mostly sitting around 94, 94 and a half. And then he had a couple games where it was 93 and a half. And then his last three starts were 93.3, 93.3, 92.8. This is average velocity. Okay. So, so, I mean, that could be something. I mean, he could be nursing some nagging thing. I mean, he's never been hurt. So it's like we don't have really anything to compare it to. You know, sometimes you like you look at Ryu, like you can see when when his velocity tends to do things, it does tend to be followed by an injury. We don't have that to compare with Brios. It could just be a dead arm period. It could just be small sample size nonsense. I don't know. But I don't know. It's still not what you want to see. No, I mean, it's not like his, his velocity's gone up, <laughs> you know, that, that'd be like, oh, well, he's really letting it loose. You know, he's warming up on the season. This is just kind of like, at best, he's holding steady here. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. We, we, we just go around again and we wait for another Jose Barrio start and we hope it's better, I think, is all we can do, which is kind of not where you want to be with your number three starter, I guess. I mean, yeah, he's done, he was their opening day starter, right? Um, and goofy thing, that he's tw two starts where he didn't go three innings and the Jays won them both. <laughs> yeah, we, we're not going to lean on that, though, as a as a winning strategy, I don't think. No, <laughs> that's not a good plan. But uh, but no, I, he needs to figure it out, because especially with Ryu now being hurt again, the rotation depth is being tested a bit. Thankfully, the other three guys are pitching really well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Alec Manoa is pitching today and has nobody's ever gotten to Alec Manoa really uh, in his major league career. I mean, it's going to happen one day, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, and then, um, you know, a, obviously Kevin Gaussman has been worth every penny so far. So you're you're well into everything is fine. <laughs> yeah, and Kikuchi has been really good, uh, other than that those first few starts of the season. They made the change to his slider and cutter, and they just turned them into one hard slider as opposed to two different pitches. And they simplified his leg kick. And he's since then, he's been very solid. You know, his last time out, he had his pitch count elevated, so he didn't get through all the way through five, but he only still only gave up two runs. So I, I think that it's important for Brios to get going so that it doesn't become a further issue. They can survive it for now. Right. Um, you know what? I have the offense down here, but I'm I'm gonna keep talking because we're talking about the starters. So Ryu being hurt. Uh, sorry, did they put him on the IL? I missed that. They today. did, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so more tightness, and it's like I when I mean I've been following this for a, a, a long time. I, I have not become a doctor in the process, but whenever I hear elbow tightness, forearm tightness, to me that ends up usually being the same thing, despite describing it differently. Um, which is almost always a fairly long recovery time, like at least the 10 days, right? Because then you're going to ramp back up. And also often means that there's some underlying issue that's causing that inflammation. Yeah. So the Jays obviously were worried about that. They sent him for two MRIs because, you know, it's a lot of times forearm or elbow tightness is a precursor to something wrong with the tendon in your elbow. <laughs> the ligaments in your elbow, right? So, yeah. um, 
but so the tests are showing that that's not the case. So he's going to rest and try to come back. I mean, he's been pitching very well. Even yesterday when he, you know, he, he was velocity, he was averaging 87. I mean, he was way down We're recording this by the way, during Manoa's start in the season finale and series, but he's still, series finale. <laughs> see, did I say season? Yes. <laughs> it's an early season, short season. It's not 2020. They play more than 60 games now, but the, uh, yeah, they were, he was actually throwing pretty well. He gave up the two homers, but otherwise he, he had a stretch where he retired, you know, nine of 10 and the other guy was raced on a double play. So it looked like he had figured out whatever command thing was bothering him. And then yesterday his velocity down being down was just the problem. I mean, that's what that was home running by Abreu, which went 450 feet. That was a symptom of his stuff being down because it was a pitch that like Abreu just could just sit change up because the fastball wasn't coming in hard enough not to. Yeah. He can, he, if he's still locating perfectly, Ryu can get away with, um, with this reduced velocity and not, you know, not have it be the end of the world, but those mistakes that he does make, can just be destroyed um which you know it's not what you want it's not it's not kevin gaussman if he has to kind of you know work around something or manoa if he has to work around his wildness uh whole different whole different game yeah and one of the things that's interesting about what ryu is doing is that he just he he since he come back came back he's been throwing a lot more curveballs and he's basically junked the cutter well, not junked, but he's reduced its usage. Now, in the last game, he only threw one, I think, because of his elbow, but or his forearm, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But he's been using his curveball to greater effect, and I think that that's been helping him get a little bit of a different look because his cutter, if it's if his fastball, if his location is not great, the cutter just gets hammered because if a cutter over the middle at 87 is going to get hit hard, whereas the curveball, he can at least get the ball down. Yeah, and he's he's changing the the eye plane of the hitter with the curveball where he, not so and the movement profile of his pitches so yeah i i, I like the strategy it was working and then obviously he's already got <laughs> naturally uh which all leads to the bullpen uh we've we've talked about a two and a third inning start a didn't get through five inning start from kikuchi and another four inning start from ryu uh that's a lot of extra innings for the bullpen to try and mm -hmm. handle to the point where they use jordan romano Pardon me while I grip my teeth on this. Three days in a row in California. Yep. <laughs> and he couldn't get out of the third one. They had to bring in Ross Stripling with the bases loaded. Ross like, Stripling oh my God. Is, is my hero. He's I'm been sorry. Awesome. He lately. really is. Yeah, no, he, he's been doing whatever they need him to do. And it's it's a hard role for a pitcher to not really have any understanding of when you're going to be used. Well, how many innings but, did he throw the day after he came in for that final out? Was it two full innings? Yeah, like that's just as a as a player, I would I would just feel like someone had been yanking my chain back and forth. Right. It's like, go go get this super high leverage out with the bases loaded and we'll see you tomorrow at three in the afternoon to try and, you know, mop up two innings for the starter. Yeah, <laughs> and he did it again because because of the way that the bullpen was used so heavily in all those close games in in Anaheim. They had situations where Julian Merriweather was pitching in the eighth inning of a one-run game. David Phelps was the closer, and then David Phelps was pitching two innings in relief <laughs> of another two-run game at that point. And 
because Romano wasn't available and Simber wasn't available the previous game. It's because Richards wasn't available and Garcia wasn't available. This just keeps happening because these guys just keep having to pitch. So serious question. Do you, if you're the Jays, do you try and trade for someone? But you know, I know Nate Pearson's in the wings, but do you try and trade for someone who throws 99 miles an hour at this point in the season? You look for a team that's not, not really contending already or, or has, you know, a need from somewhere on your roster and, and try and get that extra guy who's a legit major league back of the bullpen guy. Absolutely. I mean, if you can do it right. I mean, the cost might be too high to do it right now. Mesa is apparently close to a return. So that could really help things out since he's been one of their better relievers. But so Barucki, we can just say it now. He was DFA'd. Um, it sucks, uh, but he's just been bad. He, he hasn't gotten the job done and he was out of options. Merriweather hasn't been, you can't count on him at all. You got Andrew Vasquez up, Trent Thornton, uh, Jeremy Beasley's up right now. You know, these are not guys that are any, that you want pitching in leverage and the Jays are facing leverage so often that they end up in them. And you just want to get one more guy that you can count on to get outs and get strikeouts specifically. Well, yeah, that, sorry, you mentioned run differential. Like, again, I, I should highlight, and I hope I didn't take your final thought, that the the last win in Anaheim brought their season run differential to zero. <laughs> it wasn't my final thought, no. But, yeah, it's, they've just played so many close games, and it's going to have a long-term toll. So I think they're going to probably have to add two relievers, is my guess. And Nate Pearson. Yes, and sooner is obviously better than later in this case because chances are those relievers even if they're major league have not been used as heavily and as as in a variety of a large variety of ways as the blue jays relievers have so far yep but that's okay because the offense as we mentioned is coming around uh the one i wanted to highlight was that danny jansen and alejandro kirk after we gave props to jansen last week he continues to hit um they are the best catching staff offensively in baseball well, I mean, those two guys are just crushing the ball. I don't Jan remember the last time the Blue Jays had the best catching anything in baseball. <laughs> well, wait, so Russell Martin's first year when they had the Navarro-Martin uh, combo, that was pretty good. Okay. But uh, but no, it, and then you have to go back to like when it was Greg Zahn and <laughs> I can't remember who his platoon partner was, but they had a good year. But yeah, it's... Like Danny Jansen is just having a stupid start to the season. He's got 13 hits. Seven of them are homers. Yeah, that ratio is probably going to fade a bit. But, you know, we'll take it while we've got it, right? Well, but the thing, the funny thing about it is it's, la it's going back to when he came off the aisle last year, which was the end of August. So it's still a very small sample. We're looking at 30-some-odd games. But he has hit a home run for 40% of his hits. Just, just keep pulling the ball, Danny. I don't and, know and well over fifty percent extra base hits. I, that's, but that's what it is, right? He's just, he's not trying to. I think it was maybe some concept of using the whole field or something, which related to him putting those bad pitches to hit in play. If you just try to pull everything, as you said last week, you're not going to hit those sliders off the plate. You know, you'll just swing and miss. <laughs> and then when they, when you do get it, it's going to go over the fence. Yeah, and it's not to say you don't have to have a good idea, a good eye. You don't have to have plate discipline. I'm not, I'm not just saying every, you know, please don't mis mistake me that every guy can just go up there hacking. We knew 
uh, from the minor league record that Danny Jansen should have the talent to hit the baseball regularly, right? So obviously he adjusted his approach somewhere and he maybe just went too far one way, right? And kind of stuck with that for too long while he was trying to learn how to catch at the major league level. Yeah, I mean, and that's the big thing too. Sometimes it's just harder to do those two things at the same time. And, you know, on the flip side, we, you mentioned both catchers. Kirk really struggled in April, but he's now on the season hitting 303 with a 377 on base and a 432 slugging. He leads the Blue Jays in walk percentage. <laughs> yeah, and he's also walking more than he strikes out. Funky. Uh, I'll take it as my DH, 100%. Uh, yeah, and, and that's the big thing, what you just said there, because one of the things that was the biggest problem for the offense in April and May was that Jansen was out. So, and, and then Sprint Teoscar was out. And Lourdes was struggling. So you had like a bunch of missing bats. So you ended up seeing Rymel Tapia in the lineup every day and Bradley Zimmer a lot of days. You don't need that anymore because you can DH the catcher that's not catching and you have the three outfielders. Yeah, obviously Tapio plays sometimes and Zimmer's playing today because Springer was sick, but the health just really changes this lineup and the two catchers both hitting. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And I'm 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 gonna jinx Matt Chapman by saying that his OPS is actually climbing into almost acceptable territory for, for a supposed power hitting third baseman. <laughs> yeah. He's he's just missing a lot of balls. Um, but you know that you're you're not hitting them. Like you're just missing. It's not you don't get credit for that. But yeah. it, it it's just a sign that things could really co could come around. Um, he continues to be an astonishingly good defender. I thought with 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 a better, yeah, a little bit of better luck as to where a ground ball was hit, he was going to end the game with a triple play. Uh, was it yesterday or the day day before? I think day before. Just first game of the White Sox series. Yeah, amazing. Uh, well, I, and, and that play that you're talking about it was in the ninth inning. The Blue Jays were up by one <laughs> because, of course, they were up by yeah. one. What, what other? What else happens in the ninth inning, Josh? Come on. <laughs> yeah, and they got two cheap hits. And all of a sudden, it was first and second, nobody out for Chicago. And then there's a grounder to third, and he goes 5-4 for the double play, which that's a really rare double play, especially because he didn't feel it on the bag. Usually when a guy feels it and runs over to the bag, the next play throw is to first. But he had the situational awareness and the skill and speed to get both runners out of scoring position, which was just Amazing. I, they got the next batter anyway, so it tends in the end it didn't really matter, but it still changes the situation. So it's just tr incredible, incredible play. And he's been doing stuff like that all year. Yeah. From a pitcher stress standpoint, though, to go from first and second with nobody out to first base with two outs, as opposed to second base with two outs or first and second with one out, if that throw takes too long, right? Because it is a longer throw um, to get to first base. Uh, I think if I were Jordan Romano, I would super appreciate his effort there. Just to... Yeah, and, and I think that's the big thing. If the guy's only on first base, you can give up another hit and you still got the lead as long as it's not for extra bases. Yeah. So you don't have to be quite as fine. You don't have to be, you know, you can just throw and and I, it does help a lot. And and that's the thing. Like the, he, he isn't hitting well, but he's still been valuable because he's so good there. Indeed. I think that kind of sums up um, 
most of the offense and defense on this winning streak, unless you had any other tidbits. Not really. I mean, you know, Tapia is hitting better, which is you mentioned, like he's hitting the ball hard and they're actually not just going right into people's gloves anymore. So that, you know, that, that does make a difference. And, and Gur- and Guriel. Uh, Guriel has been taking more walks, and, he's been, and it, the biggest thing for him is he's just not swinging out of the zone as much anymore. He's cut his chase rate almost in half over the last week and a bit, and it's intentional. He's spoken about wanting to do that, and the hitting coach wanting him to do that. So if he can continue that, that would be great. Yeah, be back to the Guriel we all know and love. Um, what we love is to answer questions. He said, attempting to create a segue. And and we will do exactly that from you right after this short break. Something is amiss here because we never seem to get very far. And we are back. Um, We're ready, I think, to move over. And we're going to look at your questions. And uh, we don't have a whole lot, but that doesn't mean that we won't pay special attention to each one. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Alrighty, question number one comes to us via email. Um, and that is the wrong window to have over. Do you have it in front of you, Josh? Yeah, I've got the email up. There it is. So this yeah. is someone who comes from Todd Bartlett. He says... Can someone please tell Charlie and Pete Walker to stop pulling pitchers early? Stripling was dealing in the seventh inning of Wednesday night's game versus the White Sox, and they pulled him. There are so many examples that are similar, including pulling starters way too early. At some point, the bullpen needs a break, or they'll be running on fumes in September. RIP to the complete game. Um, I agree some of these things. I don't agree to them wholesale. Uh, Stripling, uh, I think you need him. You need to not burn him out for three days. Because of how often they've had to use him. So I understand going from stripping. Was it stripping to Garcia or stripping to Merriweather? Phelps. Stripping to Phelps. I'm fine with stripping to Phelps. Perfectly cool with that. I think I think Phelps is is as much a high leverage reliever as anybody else. Uh, I, I do bemoan the loss of the complete game when things are going as swimmingly as they were, as, as I mentioned, for Alec Manoa last time out. Um and I think we talked about how much trouble this this uh, bullpen is going to be in. Although, in a lot of cases, that hasn't been because they've been pulling the starters too early. It's because the starters have just stunk it up or gotten hurt. Stunk it up might be overstating it, but just not deserved to go deep. Obviously, there was that Manoa one you highlighted last time, and there was the Gossman one early in the season. The reason that I thought the Stripling one was a little bit of an odd decision He'd thrown two and two third in relief already, so he's burned. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was still the bottom of the order. And Phelps was needed to go into the eighth as well. <clears throat> that so like they were they were short on arms. He needed to pitch two innings. Well, not two, but <clears throat> one and a third. And then when Phelps got into trouble because he gave, he couldn't throw strikes and he gave up a couple base runners and the bases were loaded. And he got it was a three one count by the way when he got the ground out. You know, like it, it just made it a little dicier for the bullpen going forward to the point where Trent Thornton was warming up in a two run game. And so I think it's just one of the things where like when the bullpen is as depleted as it is, take the outs when you're getting them. It worked. So it's not a big deal, but I just, I I can understand why this question came up regarding that specific situation. 
Fair enough. Um, yeah, probably what I was not thinking about as much about how much Phelps they would have needed. Uh, but overall, yes, I think there's a kind of a, a sense that some guys could probably go a little longer here and there. Um, 67, 19, 319 at Bud J. Rapp. Wow. Um, says the Jays have been looking for a lefty bench bat all season long. Who are some under the radar lefty bats that might be had at the trade deadline this year? Non Josh Bell Benintendi division. <laughs> Rival uh, Tapia. Funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could be looking at, I mean, Ian Happ would be a great fit. He's, you know, on the level of those two guys you just mentioned, and he's not a free agent at the end of the year like those two guys are. So that's why he could be sort of under the radar. Cole Calhoun, who's hitting well for Texas, although Texas is kind of playing well, surprisingly. I don't understand it. Their team's not good, but, you know, it's hard to really identify who will or will not be available. Like, obviously, like Brian Reynolds would be a key, a a great guy to go get, but he's under control for two more years and he's a great player. So I think that the guys that we've named are the best players that we expect to be available. And then anybody else they get will probably be someone you don't really necessarily want to be playing over who they've got. I mean, cause you could like Jock Peterson ain't getting traded from the giants who are really good. Right. Any team that's already got those guys, isn't going to trade them. But Jock Peterson mentioned was a preview of our, um, our do over. <laughs> It's true. It was. All right. Last question from Howie says at says underscore Howie. <clears throat> With the state of umpiring in the league this year, have either of you ever considered being an umpire? Yes. Greg? Yes, I did. <laughs> Obviously, Howie has not uh, been a longtime listener, which is fine. We love a new listener. I was a minor uh, minor ball umpire for like three years when I was a, 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 a but a wee lad. Um, umpiring is uh, fun. In a certain certain aspect, it, it is a high stress job that really makes you feel like you're doing important work. Uh, but that said, I would I would never want to go above the minor ball level, to be honest, because the amount of abuse. The, the the reason why Major League umpires, here's a secret that I, I you know, I'm uh, my armchair psychology. The reason why Major League umpires are the way they are is because they're the ones who are just mentally unbalanced enough to have put up with all of the abuse for like a dozen years where nobody ever said a single nice thing to you about the job that you did. (laughs) (laughs) So now they have a chip on their shoulder. Well, I guess that excuses some of it, not all of it. Uh, And, but also one of the things about modern umpiring, it's with the way that pitchers throw now, it's really hard. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't. Have, it's not as hard as some of them make it look. I mean, some of them are just bad at it. It's like you get these old guys who can't see that well anymore, and they're trying to judge a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. Maybe they shouldn't be umpiring. But it is a tough job, and no, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> nope. Yeah, there is um, – it's, it's calling balls and strikes is a difficult thing on its own. Calling – things out on the basis is also difficult as well because uh as much as it seems like you just stand there and you know whatever you saw is whatever you call sometimes the way a play goes down you're not standing where you can see what what happened and you know it but you can't get into position to see it right in time with replay that's less of a problem though right 
Yeah, but I mean, honestly, you want to make the call on the field, right? Of course um, you do, but I just made like. But the thing with the balls and strikes is there's no recourse for that. If you screw all those up, you just screw up the game. Whereas if you miss a call on the field, well, they can change it. Fair enough. Uh, the difference, by the way, between someone throwing 50 miles an hour and 80 miles an hour is enough <clears throat> of a ridiculous leap in judgment calls that I cannot imagine the difference between someone throwing 80 miles an hour and someone throwing 101. Because <laughs> I've there you seen go. the first two. I don't even want to be back there for the third one because if that catcher misses, I'm I'm, a, I'm just plain afraid for my life. <sighs> Those were the questions. And thank you again for the questions. Um, we are going to move on to the do-over. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... Yes, fantasy football. Obviously a topic that we're going to talk and talk about uh, because fantasy football got Tommy Pham suspended. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the, the goofiest, <laughs> goofiest stories of the season. And it's kind of funny. So go ahead, Greg. Before a game between the giants and the reds, Tommy Pham got in Jock Peterson's face and slapped him as he had previously promised to do over a transaction in their fantasy football league, which had a $10,000 buy-in for which the league suspended him for three games. <laughs> Rightfully so, frankly. Uh, that's bad enough uh, that you got that excited about about your fantasy football league that you, you felt the need to commit physical violence. But then fam was asked more about it. And he ended up dragging of all people, Mike Trout into the conversation. <laughs> so here's quote: Trout did a terrible job, man. Fam said in a report by the athletic Trout's the worst commissioner in fantasy sports. We'll just leave that because he allowed a lot of stuff to go on and could have solved it all. Nobody wanted to be commissioner. I didn't want to be the effing commissioner. I've got other stuff to do. He didn't want to do it. We put it on him. It was kind of our fault, too, because we made him commissioner. So you literally, you admitted you did not want the commissioner's job. And then dragged the guy who got forced to be commissioner. Do you know what's really dumb about this, though? Everything? The whole thing? <laughs> the whole thing, sure. <laughs> but, so what happened was just that a guy was announced as being injured. So Peterson put him on his injured reserve and picked up another player. And Fam thought that was not allowed for some reason. The guy was injured. <laughs> like that's, that's the way the league's set up. And then apparently Peterson in their group chat sent him a gift of three three uh, logos lifting weights. And then in it, 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 the Giants logo and the Dodgers logo were having no trouble. And then the, the Padres logo collapsed under the weight because of the way the Padres fell off last year. It, I just that's just glorious trash talk. I have no idea where you found that gift, but I love it. Uh, yeah, I mean. Maybe if if fam had just maybe spent a little more time on Google looking at a good comeback gif. That's his do-over. Just if, if someone is dragging you on a chat, keep it in the chat. Keep it in the G-chat, as we used to say, back when such a thing existed. Because Lord knows, walking onto the field and giving a good hard slap is the last thing you ever want to do. 
But also, fantasy football season ended in December. I mean, it's a, it's a really old thing to still be caring about, but whatever. Uh, 10 grand, 10 grand, I guess. Well, uh, man, do-overs. They don't, they, don't, they don't make them like they used to. Uh, that... That is the capper for our little podcast here. Unless, of course, you have a deep and uh, meaningful final thought for me, in which case we can discuss that. Yeah, I don't know if it's deep and meaningful, <laughs> but I do have one. Uh, you know, we, people have been talking about bullpen reinforcements. There is an interesting guy down in the minors who who could make an impact is Adrian Hernandez, who is a strikeout artist in the minors. He's 23. So he's not one of those 27 year old guys dominating the minor leagues. He's worked his way through the system so, so far in Buffalo. He's given up three runs in 14 innings with 21 strikeouts and four walks. And that was after doing pretty well in his, in this, in double A to start the season. He doesn't throw overly hard. So he's not he's not exactly like what you would think of as a power reliever with those numbers, but he's got such a good changeup that he still can do really well. So I'd be really interested to see what that guy can do over more Trent Thornton and Jeremy Beasley. You don't want more Trent Thornton? I know it's crazy, right? <sighs> All right. So I, I have a much dumber final thought. Well, my first final thought is, hey, did you notice the Jays were in second place? I bet you didn't notice the Jays were in second place. I did. My dumber, <laughs> my, my, my dumber final thought is, is uh, the following. The Blue Jays have a very well-known uh, prospect by the name of uh, Gabriel Moreno, which I think we've discussed Gabriel Moreno a couple of times here, uh, catcher of the future. We have done that, yes. Uh, and then they also have a product uh, a prospect called Orelvis Martinez. Um, Orelvis Martinez, I believe we, we have infielder of the future on him. We don't, we don't, we're not stuck on shortstop, are we? He won't play short. So second or third. Right. We also, now the Blue Jays, Gabriel Martinez has been recognized by Baseball America. I feel made the hot sheet. like this is going to be really confusing in the next couple of years. All, how's, Mar <laughs> how's Martinez doing? <laughs> What's up? What's Gabriel, Gabriel doing? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. that's kind of funny. <laughs> oh, you thought you didn't understand minor league prospects before. Well, folks, do I have news for you? <laughs> now, Gabriel Martinez is in, he's in low A, so he's still got a long way to go. True, true. But you never know with these, uh, these call-ups and and uh and you know sometimes sometimes weird stuff happens but anyway yeah keep it in mind uh if you hear gabriel or martinez or Aralvis, um it's probably good news for the blue jays uh but the, you might still not know who they're talking about oh my goodness which is to say that you have been joshua Housem, a name i've said many times and uh it do not get confused with anyone else's at joshua Housem, and i have been <laughs> greg wisniewski at coolhead 2010 and this, this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 300 and, no, no, 237, and we will talk at you next week. Mm -hmm.